dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Chelsea's not with us, so we're going to get right into it. Have a lot of fun. We're talking with BJ McDonald, who is the director of the Foo Fighters horror comedy Studio 666. Thank you for being on the show with us, BJ. How are you doing today? Great, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Looking forward My to talking. My pleasure. Awesome. How have you been holding up in the time of Rona, aside from uh, making a film sort of kind of on the down low with uh, <laughs> one of the biggest rock bands in the world? I've been great. I've just been having having a good time with everything and, and really stoked that a lot of people really enjoyed it. And, and uh, you know, that's what we set out to do and make a really fun movie for the fans and and for the horror fans and for you know the band movie fans like very happy what we got to do and i'm uh, i'm i'm stoked <laughs> i'm i'm glad because it's a very fun movie and then i went online and checked out uh your your resume so looking at what you've done as a director which came first in your life the rock and roll or the horror I would say the horror came first in my life just as a kid growing up watching horror films i mean that was always like you know like just because as an 80s kid like when hbo was available in the night like you know like my parents would never really let us like they didn't care what we watched me and my <laughs> sister so we basically we kind of grew up on old school horror movies you know it kind of shaped who we were uh, my sister not so much but me i kind of kept going with it um and it just was it was one of those things that i loved is is like when i watched movies i loved anything horror because it was exciting you know it was fun to watch and you know, it was scary. It was thrilling. You know, there was all sorts of emotions you would get. That was more of like the roller coaster ride. Uh, instead of like, and I love comedies. I love all movies. Don't get me wrong, but there's a different feel and different fun that comes with horror. Um, and so that was always it. Rock and roll came second, and then it all kind of blended together. <laughs> I, I can certainly relate being an '80s kid whose uh, parents would take them to the video store and not mind what I rented as yeah. long as they didn't have to watch it with me. Um, yep. And the rock and roll was simultaneously, but then later on in life, getting into improv comedy and putting them together for an yeah. improv show, uh, and then eventually this podcast. So it's crazy how times have changed, right? With like how people like you know censor what kids watch. You know, I, I think that we were a lot more, you know, you know, my my parents are pretty liberal with it, so I got to watch whatever. But I see nowadays, like my friends who have kids, they 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 so keep their kids contained without letting them experience those things. I think I saw Escape from New York when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> well, Seriously. well, back in the day, and, and, and for our younger listeners, uh, we're going to wax a little elderly for you. There wasn't even PG-13. No. So you'd watch PG movies. Like just this morning, I watched Airplane 2. It's rated PG, <laughs> and there's yeah. breasts in it. Yep. So yeah. The, it's a whole different they decided time. to change it up. Yeah, it was a whole different time. It's crazy. But yeah, taking the two things that you love and putting them together. And what I only realized uh, in doing research after watching Studio 666 was you also directed Hatchet 3, which is a franchise that I love. Oh, good. And that um, you were credited uh, as hunter number one in Hatchet 2. Yes, I got, <laughs> I got, I got killed. <laughs> it's very fast. If you watch it's it's there's it's just a montage of people getting killed and I'm 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 one of them. <laughs> was that during the credit sequence, if I recall correctly? No, there was like this whole like when they're I, I can't remember. I haven't watched those movies in so long to tell you the truth. Like I I don't even remember how I died. 
because I haven't seen that movie or, or, or watched it at all. I just know I was running and I looked back behind me. And of course, as what happens, as soon as you turn your head forward, I ran into Victor Crowley and I got killed. I think, well, I, I don't know what he did to me. I forgot what he did. I think he like cut my head in half or something. Well, I'm going to be eagle-eyed next time I go through that franchise. It's one that I revisit a lot. Okay. Um, so, and, and I'm actually one of the few people that got to see Hatchet 2 the one week it was in theaters before it oh. got pulled out, being unrated. That's such a stupid thing that happened. I mean, it's so dumb. And all honestly, I, I honestly, I'll tell you right now, I feel like that was publicity. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I'm it's, sure Adam Green has talked about it a lot, and I forget all of the specifics. But after yeah. seeing the first one at the Tribeca Film Festival and finding out there was a sequel, it's like, absolutely, I'll go in the theater. So yeah. how, do you, how did you get the opportunity to direct the third and probably at that time what may have been thought of as the last of the franchise? Well, I was the camera operator on the first two. Mm -hmm. um, so I already kind of knew, like, you know, I already knew the people involved and I knew the, a lot of the cast that was there. So it was just kind of one of those things where I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know why uh, Adam didn't do it. I think it's maybe because Hatchet 2 didn't do that great. I don't know. Um, and maybe he just didn't want to do it. He wanted some fresh eyes on that and see what, see like how it went. I don't know. I, could, I, I mean, I really don't know what the process was or why, but he just asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Cause I actually, you know, was, I was ready to start going into the directing route because I, I moved to Los Angeles to direct, but I kind of shifted my focus as a camera operator. Cause I got really involved doing that. And I really fell in love with the craft. And it's like, it actually has made me a better filmmaker, you know, because of all the people I've worked with, the experiences I've gotten and everything, it's been great. Um, yeah, and that was it. Like he just, you know, basically it's like, hey, do you want to do it? And, yeah, okay. That's <laughs> as simple as that. Plus, I also have a love of horror, so like I I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. And the the what we were trying to do, I totally got. No, I I can relate because the day job, at least prior to the pandemic, was set dressing and props. So the more you learn on every set, it's like some days you're just setting up the chairs in Video Village. Other days, um. Uh, we're bloodying up a, 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 an emergency room. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always different, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, what I think is that if, you know, going back to being like on set and learning as a different craftsman, uh, not being just jumping in as a director or, or whatever, or director of photography, like coming straight out of school and doing that. I think once you've learned, like walked on a set and you've learned what everybody's jobs are and how long it takes people to do things, I think it's vital for, for a filmmaker to know those things. Because if you come straight from like a film school or you're just like, I'm going to direct a movie, you know, and like you're lucky enough to get that because it's very hard. Um, if you don't know what everybody's jobs are, you're, you're not going to realize how much time it actually takes to get the things you want to get done. I think the knowledge of that and like and the etiquette and the set etiquette and, and the learning and knowing what everybody's jobs are is a vital, uh, you know, vital education, you know, that to get. It certainly helps keeps things harmonious because the person that you may not be asking directly, but through intermediaries to do like a specific thing may have been there three hours before you showed up and they're kind of sleepy. But yeah. that, so, so that helps kind of keep the language going. But whatever you tell some crew member to do, at least in my experience, the response is always going to be, it's going to look great. They'll tell oh, you, you hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry. They'll, it's going to look great. Okay. <laughs> give us X amount of minutes. It's going to look great. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> so, so being a horror fan, uh, were you 
just excited to work with some people that you hadn't worked with on some of the previous films like uh, Caroline Williams or Derek Mears or with just another day at the office. Um, it's funny because when it comes down to like the horror crowd, I don't, you know, I, I thought I, I, I thought it was cool when I got to work with Robert England. Yes. You know, I thought that was neat because I was a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan growing up. Like that was my probably my favorites out of all the like, you know, the, the classic like monsters of like my era. Um, it wasn't so much Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. Mine was more Freddy Krueger because I loved Freddy Krueger having like, you know, he had a, he was a character. He, he joked around and he did weird stuff. And the scariest thing is not being able to sleep, in my opinion. And like, you know, I thought that was the best. So I thought that was really cool. Like Caroline's great. Like, I mean, all the, all the people I've worked with, you know, in the horror community, you know, pretty much have been great people, but I don't really, I think for me, my career started as the, as a camera, you know, like more of the grip and then a camera operator. And I got to be around other actors, uh, people of, of different caliber acting um, that I actually, you get to a point where you don't get like starstruck anymore, I guess is what mm -hmm. it is, or it doesn't matter. You know, every now and then you're like, oh, this guy's cool. Like, I really like this guy because he's a great actor, but I don't ever go, oh, wow. Oh my God, look who we're working with. I just, it never really gets to that point. The only time has been recently with the Studio 666 was, <laughs> and, and that's John Carpenter. You know, because he's the guy that I grew up with, that he's, he was my inspiration. It wasn't anybody really else. John Carpenter was my inspiration and, and who I looked up to as a filmmaker and a horror filmmaker, because I just loved his movies. In a movie with a lot of great surprise cameos, that's one of the better ones in there. Well, it's funny because like some people won't even know who that is. They're just gonna be like, who's that guy? <laughs> my lady actually, during... You know, during the movie, leaned over and whispered, is that Tobin Bell? I'm like, no, that's John Carpenter. <laughs> See, that's what's pretty funny. Yeah, and so like, it's our generation that actually gets it. It was an honor to have him though. Was, he's so great. Um, another thing that I've come to appreciate more after working on sets, those night shoots, which the Hatchet films mostly are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Out okay. in nature, how, how, how do you get through? How do you keep morale? up as a director and get everything that you need before the sun comes up and hey day's over now yeah i mean you have to be really uh you know no matter what in my opinion like what i've learned and what is really great and what i've taken from the good directors i've worked with is that positivity is is very key of of, of making sure that you show positivity even when times are tough you still try to keep a good good aura about you and, and make sure that the rest of the crew is having a good time, even when things are really tough, you know, and it's hard because sometimes there's issues where you, you just, you know, let, let's be honest, anytime, every day you're on a film set, something's going to go wrong. It's you know, people that don't know or criticize movies or whatever it is, they don't get it because they've never stepped on a film set ever. And from the small movies and the, it, up to the bigger movies, in my opinion, there's always something that goes wrong. So you got to properly plan things. And when something goes wrong, you know, and you, you just have to know how to like, you know, brainstorm as fast as you can to figure out how to make it right. And that's what I think I've gained as a grip and a camera operator and, and the position on set. Um, and don't show that you're actually pissed off or really negative because it just poisons the well and sours the whole crew. Um, positivity is a big thing. So night shoots in general, I hate night shoots, like absolutely hate them. Um, but, you know, sometimes they're very vital and you have to do them. You know, Studio 666 did not have that many night shoots, you mm -hmm. know, like really didn't. You know, we had a sequence outside at a pool that was basically our longest 
night shoots. Other than that, we did splits, you know, when we had to have night work and we always, cause I hate nights. So I was like me and the first AD and, and the producers, we were like, let's just try to make it. So there's like, if we have to have a night sequence outside, you know, we, we try to split it, but obviously you can't do that. Uh, the hatchet movie. I mean, we shot that in the desert, you know, like what we didn't even shoot that in new Orleans, you know, other than like a couple opening sequences. Uh, it was like for like four days, but the rest of it, we shot in the desert and it was cold, freezing cold out there. Uh, you know, we just threw moss up in a tree and ran around. Hatchet 2 was actually mostly shot in a soundstage. So it wasn't that many nights, honestly, because that was all contained. It was all shot indoors. And it feels that way. Hatchet 2 feels like you're inside because it just is a weird, small, contained set. And then my stupid ass, whenever we decided to do Hatchet 3, I wanted to make sure that I could expand the world. And I wanted to make sure no matter where we pointed that camera, that it was real. And so I, I tried to make sure that we shot everything. As, you know, we, that was the one that was mostly shot in New Orleans. And we actually did shoot in the swamp. Um, and that was mostly nights and it was grueling, you know, and especially for a movie like that, we only had like 15 days to shoot it, which is crazy for that kind of movie. You know, 15 days to shoot a movie is really, it's insane when you have, especially when you have a rocket launcher, blood effects, makeup effects, we're, you know, knocking down the Crowley house, burning it up, all that stuff. It's like, you know, and it was the smallest budget of them all. And so it was, it was, it was a nightmare. It didn't feel... <laughs> like the smallest budget of, of them all just from watching it. It felt, and, and if this does things to your ego, you're welcome. It felt kind of larger because of all the SWAT teams, all the machine guns. So I always kind of compared it to, yes, certainly a smaller budget, but the difference between Alien and Aliens, where yeah. Hatchet 3 felt kind of steroided up in a way. Yeah. But if you did that with less money, bravo. Well, and that's, and, and the reasoning behind why it looks so big is because of my past and how I, because my camera operator past and like knowing how to set up shots that look big to actually make the world big. That's why I wanted to shoot in a real swamp because you could just, you know, do these massive wide shots. Um, my whole goal of, of like, honestly, when I did Hatchet 3, I wanted to make the movie dark and not as comedic and silly as the other ones. But I was kind of talked out of that because it's a fan base group that likes the Hatchet movies and they want to see the silly. Um, I wanted to take Victor Crowley and make it more serious and more dark and spooky. Um, so when I didn't get to do that, I actually I was, I was like, okay, well, I want to make sure that I change the look up. So instead of shooting, you know, instead of a one eight five uh, frame that the other two were, I can I made mine a two four zero, more of like the the, the you know a scope film, um, and also I used the Panavision lenses because I'm I'm good friends with everybody over Panavision. Um, and they always hook me up with every, anything I do. And really truly the glass is what really makes the look. And this is like when the first red, like the red one cameras, like this is when that was the only real digital camera out there that people were using. So I had a Panavision red, red one, and, uh, two of those and uh, Panavision lenses. And that's why the movie looks bigger than the other ones. But a lot <laughs> cheaper than the other ones. <laughs> you gotta work your way around it sometimes. Again, that goes back to saying you got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's going to look great. It's going to look yeah. great. So from there, and also looking up some other stuff, you being a camera operator on different things. Saw you worked on some Marvel stuff, which I did too. Um, what do you think about those Marvel NDAs, those non-disclosure agreements? Do you ever kind of worry? Because I've gotten into the habit uh, working on those Netflix shows that's shot in New York and pedestrians come by, ask you what you're working on. And 
a lot of other people will lie and I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'll just look at them and say, I signed paperwork. I can't say shit because that ends the conversation there. It, yeah. Well, but I think people understand that too. And I mean, look, nowadays it's like, it's NDAs for everything. You know, like I'm, every job I go on pretty much is like, here's your NDA. Can't talk about it. You know, so, and it's just, that's just the norm. And it's actually a good way to actually go about it instead of saying, oh, we're working on a mayonnaise commercial, you know, which is like, in the, if people that aren't in the film business know that people say that all the time because people go, oh, it's a mayonnaise commercial. All right, I'll keep walking. You know, and it's like, that's the easy thing to say, but it is actually good to say, hey, I signed some papers. I can't talk about it. Thanks. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, you know, I'm, I don't mind the NDAs and I get it as a director. I understand it because it's hard to like keep things now quiet. It's hard to like, not like, have your crew and everybody go out because everybody has cell phones and cameras and they're just taking photos left and right all over the place and you know all you can do is say all right i know we guys we all sign ndas but please please just don't post any of these pictures don't do any of that stuff because it just gives away the fun the magic so from there so that you directed a lot of videos oh yeah <laughs> which was a great cameo in the studio 666 because like oh there's carrie kane yeah setting up a soundboard all right cool that yeah. that added to the rock and roll feel of the film so how how did you come to be professionally involved with slayer with slayer i got a call and i and i they i heard that nuclear blast was looking for horror directors and they actually reached out and they were like well can you come down and talk to us and uh you know, basically like, we want to see what your take is. I was like, well, I, you know, this is like, they wanted me to come like down there like the next day. And I was like, I don't have a pitch or anything, guys. I really don't, you know, do you want to give me some more time? They're like, well, they're kind of looking now, just come down and talk to us and let us know your ideas. Like, All right. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't even want to get this, what I'm going to tell them. So I ended up going to Nuclear Blast Records, meeting Gerardo. And I said, okay, you know, I love the band Slayer, always have. Um, but here's what I think. I was like, I don't know what anybody else's pitch. I don't know what everybody's saying. I said, but the Slayer, in my opinion, the videos that have come out from the past Slayer videos don't, to me, they don't say Slayer. They don't convey, they don't convey like what I feel or what I think Slayer is going to be like. Um, so I just basically said, look, MTV um, is, is basically the censorship of those music videos um, is, is kind of gone now because you have YouTube, you know what I mean? Uh, and I said, why don't we just go out now that we don't have to mess around with the censorship of things? We can go out and actually make a violent, gnarly Slayer video that says Slayer to me. Like, this is this is a Slayer video. They're like, all right, cool. Well, well you know, can you write up a quick pitch? Um, I was like, yeah, sure. So I came home and I wrote two pitches. And I wrote one that was like this crazy cannibalistic biker, a post, like post-apocalyptic one that would cost probably a fortune to make. Uh, and then I wrote the Repentless video, jail video. You know, because I knew that there was, I didn't know like what kind of budget we were talking about. So I sent both of them and Carrie loved both of them. He, he really loved the, the biker one. And I did too. I thought it was really cool. It would, it would have been really, it would have been a, a very expensive thing. But then they said this, this also this prison riot one is super cool. So right then and there, they were like, okay, we want to do it. And I was like, okay, great. So I started assembling all the right people, you know, my, me and my wife talk because she's also a makeup artist. She helps me out with everything. Um, and we, you know, I've worked with Tony Gardner at Alterian on a bunch of other movies. So we reached out to Tony and Tony was all for it. So we got, you know, started talking about all the makeup things we wanted to do. I went to his shop. We just started picking out stuff. Um, and then we just assembled the crew and that's how that video came about. And then from that video, it did so good for, for Slayer that, uh, they were like, okay, we want you now to make a post, a, a, a pre and a post video telling a story. So I had to take that jail story and now I had to make a beginning and then I had to make an ending video. And that's what you get when you get you against you and Pride and Prejudice. 
So that's how it happened. <laughs> it was so much fun. And, and, and again, it, it helps when you're working with artists that you already uh, respect. So tying that in, in yeah. Studio 666. It was fun getting Carrie in there because Slayer, you know, as we all know, is disbanded. They're not a band anymore. And so I thought it'd be really fun for Carrie to show up and kind of play like the roadie character. Just, you know, and when we told him about it, he was so he was so excited about it. And like, especially like when we told him about like the makeup effects and stuff we were going to do. And he was such a trooper when he came out. We, it was just so fun to see him again and have him in there. He seemed like the kind of guy that would be like, you're going to. And to our listeners at this point, you know, we're going to spoil the shit out of the movie. And you should see it anyway. Like I read in Fangoria, I believe, once, like no one's ever not seen a movie because something was spoiled for them. Um, him getting electrocuted at the soundboard and... <laughs> Charred to hell. Yeah. Beautiful thing. So had to happen. Towards the end of last year, I think it was Studio 666 was announced. And all I thought to myself was Foo Fighters made a horror comedy. Okay. I don't want to see a preview. I just need the date. All right. <laughs> when can I because I like to go into things cold. Uh yeah. and 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 I'm sure, you know, sometimes it, it's not the director that cuts the trailer so it wasn't me on this one <laughs> i can tell you that i didn't watch it so i don't know what 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 the trailer looked like but when it's Good. people that i like i i want to go in as cold as possible and have everything yeah me. because sometimes a trailer will give all of the good stuff in it and what's left is another 90 minutes of stuff that wasn't in the trailer and wasn't as good so how did this come about i remember hearing uh dave Grohl say on hot ones you just had an idea and boom off it goes so how did you get brought into the mix so i did the run music video with dave and the guys um and dave also works with two producers that i know really well jim rhoda and john ramsey um well dave approached them and said man while they were shooting or while they were recording mess at midnight he said i got this crazy idea i want to make a horror film i don't really i've never made a film before like a movie movie he's done do documentaries and music videos he's like i you know what do i do and they're like well you've seen the slayer videos yeah and he's like oh yeah you know and they're like well bj did the run thing he's like oh yeah and they go well send him the pitch you know he's a director so he sends me the pitch and i read over it like the kind of like it was a very simple pitch and 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 then i kind of wrote more into like different characters involved in it there's shadow people that i kind of like threw in there that i wanted to like get more of like a like a lore to like the past band in the house because those weren't there before um because it needed a little more you know interesting like stuff going on so i made a lookbook of how i thought it should look and how i thought the movie should feel um and just gave my whole take on that so i met with dave presented in my lookbook um we went over it talked about the horror directors that we like we talked about movies we like the way this movie should feel we were like it needs to be a band movie one it has to has to totally be like in that vein straight up band movie it's number one number two it has to be funny because it's for the foo fighters fans for the most part um you know what we were really going after because we knew a lot of people that are foo fans are going to want to see it so it had to have the old Foo Fighters music video style, like feeling funny, that kind of funny. And then it had to have the horror elements. And we always wanted to go with, since it's a comedy and since it's funny, we want to go with fun kills, like the old school Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, like the creatively ridiculous kills that aren't like horrifying, but they're, they're funny. They're like kills that you just, you cheer on and you laugh about because it's so absurd. 
you know, and that was it. And that's how I came on, on board. And plus my friend, Tony Gardner, who I was just mentioned, who did the effects on the Slayer video, he did the effects on run on the old age makeup for Dave and the guys. And even Tony even told Dave, he's like, Oh, get BJ in here. He's great. Cause I knew how to do, I know how special effects you need to light them or how to shoot them. You know, if you don't know how to do that, sometimes it can kill the gag. Um, and that's, and that was another reason why. I'm going to just respectfully disagree a little bit on the kills. Cause yes, it is. It is silly. It's over the top. But that chainsaw kill with Rami and oh, why is her name escaping me right now? Whitney. Whitney. Yes, thank you. Whitney Cummings. Rami that, and was, Samantha. that was the most insane kill I'd seen in a very long time. My jaw dropped right in the theater, and I was stunned in silence. <laughs> we were pretty proud of that one. <laughs> you should be. Bravo. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was that was also like all the kills kind of came from Tony Gardner. Like we, we, we talked to Tony and we said, hey, what mood in like, you know, what Tony always gets is he gets a script and it's like, OK, here's how these people die. So Tony goes, OK, I got to figure out how these people are going to die. We said, all right, Tony, what do you want to do? What have you always wanted to do? Like in movies, like horror wise, effects wise, what are some what are some kills that you would actually like to do? And he, he mentioned all these kills, including the chainsaw one. So we just basically also, which is a cool thing, because we're all kind of a bit of a family at that point. Tony got to live some of the things that he would like to do. So he got to come up with these things. And we just we just made sure that the writers put those in the script. And that was it. And, and it worked extremely well. What was it like filming with uh, COVID protocols? Say it one more time. What was it like filming with COVID protocols? That was harsh. I mean, the thing was, so what we started before COVID hit, and we were, you know, doing your normal thing. We, it was a very short schedule too, because the movie did. We don't have. We didn't have a huge budget, um, again. And we shot about twenty days. We had about six days left, you know, which is still a short schedule for what we did. Um, and then I'll never forget. All of a sudden, it's like we we one night we were shooting in the rain. It was just it was naturally raining, and in in, and we, sh we were shooting this in sequence. Um, and it was just a. It was gloomy. It was a brutal night. And I just remember the producers being like. Everybody on the news is saying the world's about to shut down. We don't know how long. So we're going to have to, you know, this is going to be our night. Everybody doesn't come to work tomorrow. Let's see what happens. And you go home going, man, that's such a bummer. It's probably going to be like a week off or two weeks. Nope. It was seven <laughs> months, six or seven months. You know, I was stressed out. Didn't know if we were going to come back, but we did come back. And then we, we were also one of the guinea pigs of like coming back of, of production um, of how those protocols worked. We were the first to have to figure out how to wear masks, how to wear goggles, the sanitation stations, having COVID officers around being like, you got guys spread out too many people around each other. We had to change things in the script to make sure that people weren't always as close as they, you know, we had, they had to change to make sure that people were kind of distant. Um, Cause it wasn't, you know, the, the pool sequence was different, you know, cause it, everybody, there were a lot more things going on. People were actually like more on top of each other. So we had to like distance everything. And that was really the weird things. We just had to relearn stuff. Um, we had to do testing three days a week, you know, like learning how to get to work, spit in a cup and then hope, you know, get your results back and hope it, you know, says negative. Um, but then it became the norm now and it's now, and now it's the norm. You like, I'm now I'm used to it every, you know, when I do on productions, I go in, they swab your nose three times a week and you know, you wear masks and I've gotten used to it. Cause I incorrectly assume since it's mostly the band in this house, I figure, oh yeah, they're just in a bubble and everybody's probably off camera with their mask. But no, once again, we can just change the show to Rick's wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that wasn't it. We we all had to go home at some point. <laughs> so 
you know, the good, the good thing is we were shooting in Encino and, you know, if you lived here, we, we weren't on location where everybody was like cooped up in a hotel, people went home, you know, and for the most part, we actually said, please, everybody, you know, I, we don't know what's going on, but like just during the filming, can you just contain yourselves and don't go like around people with masks or unmasked or anything like that? Don't, don't go and, and, and put yourselves at risk because we just need to finish this movie. It would have been catastrophic. It would have been catastrophic had some one person gave everybody COVID and we had to shut down. I don't know if we would have got finished. Because we've we've heard some stories about movies like that. Um, oh, yeah. as, as entertaining as the Foo Fighters, certainly uh, as musicians and in their music videos, they're 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 fun. They're goofy. You can tell they they have fun with each other. And I feel that there's probably a lot of inside jokes in Studio 666 that some of us may not be aware of. How different is it directing people that aren't primarily actors in a film? I mean, how, how different is it uh, working with people that aren't actors? Yes. <laughs> the, that's, that, was a big, that was a big worry for me, in all honesty. But when me and Dave were talking about the whole thing, again, going back to what we wanted to do, one, Number one, it's a band movie. We all know that the Beatles were not good actors. The Monkees were not good actors. Kiss, they weren't good actors. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I thought the Foo Fighters did a pretty good job for, for what they were up against, you know, never acting in a movie. I thought they did a great job, but we weren't too concerned about the acting portion of it, which is so funny You see some critics be like, oh man, the acting is so, oh my God. It's like, yeah, that's part of the joke, guys. That is part of the joke. It's a band film. So we just rolled with it, you know what I mean? And for me, I thought it was more interesting whenever we were doing the movie, because like, I just say, hey guys, you know, don't worry so much about learning word for word on the script, you know? Like this is, you guys are not creating a character, you're playing yourself. So it's more fun for you to stay on topic, but just say what you would actually say, like to each other. Because in the long run, you're, now you're gonna get a mix of how the banter really is in the bands sometimes, and how they can really, how they really kind of talk to each other. And I thought it was more important to convey that. And, I, and it came across great in the movie. It, it certainly comes across in that boardroom scene at the beginning where Dave's like, yeah, the album's right in here and points at his head and points at all the other members and then looks at Ryan and goes, in there, not so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I did, you mentioning that it was filmed in sequence certainly explains a lot because towards the end of the film, it I wasn't shot like in sequence. Oh, it wasn't? No, oh. we didn't shoot it in sequence. It was all over the place. Like oh, I misunderstood. But it, it seemed to me towards the end of the film, Pat Smear went and learned how to do an on-camera screen somewhere. <laughs> There's one big scream shot that you got of him. I'm like, oh, he's, he, he's got it. He's got it in that one. I know what you're talking about. And that was after the pandemic. Yes. Like that was so so Pat has some time off and we all we assembled it like you know we edited remotely a lot of the stuff we had and, he, and Pat kind of saw what was going on and the funny thing is Pat when he came back from when he came back Pat was like 20 pounds lighter mm. like he had like gotten healthy and worked out and like I don't I don't know what but when he showed up we were like oh wow Pat uh oh how's this gonna work because you're you look different luckily he was wearing like a, a, a like a sweatsuit so it kind of hid that um and and it's funny too you're talking about his scream um now when we we did adr like when we were finishing the movie up and pat came in i said all right pat we just want to get a couple more uh screams from you just in case we need to like throw them in somewhere and he goes i can't i go what do you, oh, what do you mean you can't he goes ever since we shot that movie and i screamed so much in all those scenes i can't scream anymore he goes it's like totally gone like my i can't scream at all like it totally messed me up <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm sorry 
But you, but you did it for the cause. Ask him if he took some online acting courses during the pandemic. That's what I suspect. I'm yeah, probably really great. Yeah. Well, when you tell when you tell Pat to elevate it, he goes like to the moon, which is rad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what else did I want to? It definitely seemed to me that like making it a band movie being important, the comedy being important, and it being the horror movie. It seemed to me like that was that that horror being really emphasized because those scares, those uh, monstrous fog-like creatures of uh, that is exactly the band before. I'm like, that's gotta be spooky because you know, while the horror community we definitely support and champion what we like, if we don't like something, you're gonna lose us. So that definitely puts the hook in deep. And it's like, all right, no problem, no problem, yeah. I'm there. And yeah, yeah, you know, right. just for myself, adding in the aspect of barbecue, I'm like, this this is all the things I love in movies, except for kung fu. <laughs> that's that's the one missing ingredient. That's 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 the next movie. <laughs> Studio six six seven. You heard it here first. That's right, the kung fu action film. <laughs> so in in wrapping up the film and 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 announcing it out there. Um, what were some of the initial responses and were you happy with the finished product? When we announced the film or when yeah. it came out? Both. Um, you know, the way we announced it, I thought was really great. Um, you know, going back to the whole thing with how trailers are cut, you know, that's a, that is a lot of things. A lot of directors don't get to, to cut the trailers. Um, I would not have put the trailer out that came out, honestly. I would have gone more of the approach of like Cabin in the Woods where you don't know what you're getting into. And I think that that would have been a lot more interesting in my opinion. But, uh, you know, sometimes like there's people that like, you know, the marketing teams and things like that, they feel like you need to show so much and you need to, you know, just feed people stuff. Or I don't think that's very important because I think that people are going to want to see this weird movie regardless. Um, and I did like the way that people actually like the feedback people were saying, because Look, when we were doing this movie, I, I go, people are going to love it and people are going to hate it. You know, that's just the way it's going to be because some people are just not going to be into what we're doing, but some people are going to be super pumped about it. I mean, that's the way it is in any movies, in, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's hard to make a, like one movie that everybody loves, you know, you never are. And then, and I love the, you know, when we put the movie out, you know, it wasn't a blockbuster movie that we were ever trying to do. In all honesty, we were never trying to put it in theaters. It's just the deal that got made to go when the movie got sold, went to theaters. You know, we weren't, we're not the Batman. You know, we're not Uncharted and we're not Spider-Man, you know, or Scream. You know, we were a small movie. And the response that came out for the most part, I thought was really great, you know, and, and it was exactly what I thought. There's many people loved it. There's a lot of really great positive reviews about things. And then some people just hated it. And, you know, that is what it is. You just go, man, I hope people just had a good time watching it because really we were just trying to make a movie for people to go have a good time to watch it. So honestly, I think the response is, is exactly what I thought and I'm, and I'm happy. It definitely... I feel you definitely succeeded in uh, the movie feeling like a good time because there's a lot of Easter eggs for, yep. for the eagle-eyed among us from that laser pistol from the first Foo Fighters album cover to the, the, to the shears, you know, looking a lot like the burning. Burning. That's yeah. exactly, that was exactly what we were referencing. You know, and, we, we did the, 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 there's a shot that's an ode to the exorcist, you know, in the movie. There's, you know, the shadow people we're talking about, they are a direct, like they are the fog, 
like we really went with that. We just wanted to make our own kind of version of that, like of what those characters look like. It's more of a throwback to John Carpenter, like I said, you know, that we were stoked to have. Um, Dave coming, like jumping up out of the pool, you know, that was Friday the 13th. Um, you know, there's a lot of things like that that we wanted to make sure that the true horror fans that actually are going to see it, like can really be excited about, because I think it's important. People love to see those kind of like quick imageries and things like that. And it's just like Easter eggs are great. I love them. I love, I love spotting that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I walking right out of it, I'm like, that would be a perfect part of a drive-in double feature with Deathgasm. Yeah, right. I think if you show those two movies together, and if I ever get enough money to open a movie theater, I would actually curate such a thing. But right now, I just got a projector that I set up in my garage. Hey, whatever um, works, man. <laughs> it's better than watching it on your phone. Absolutely. Um, and also with uh, the, the cameos, like Carrie King makes sense, you yeah. know, being in a rap band. John Carpenter makes sense. But much like my mind was blown with the chainsaw kill, the Lionel Richie cameo. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that, that was that was in the script, believe it or not. Like that wasn't something we went, oh, we can do this because this or that. Like when we were reading it and Dave goes, oh, you put Lionel Richie in there? He's like, well, luckily, like they knew each other. You know, we just made a phone call, kind of told him what we were doing. And we didn't know if he was actually going to be cool with it. Like, is he going to do it? If he doesn't, well, well, you know, we can always finish, fix the script that it could be somebody else. But Lionel was down for it. So he came in and it was such a fun thing to do. It's, so it's, it's one of the reasons I really want somebody to put the soundtrack out at some point. I haven't seen if it's like available for download. I checked uh, there, iTunes. But, you know, yeah. I, I'd love it on a vinyl with like some kind of fun color. I'm always a sucker for a picture disc. Uh, That's what we're trying to like, you know, I've been talking to the composer, Roy, like we're trying to figure that out. Honestly, I'd love for like Death Waltz to put it out or somebody mm -hmm. or Waxworks or somebody like that it would be really cool to put the thing out. Um, there is, you know, there is, there is a fake album coming out that is Dream Widow, like the band <laughs> that Dave actually did. Um, and it's really, really heavy. It, it, you know, it's going to, I think it's going to come out like two weeks or something. I'm not sure, but it's really heavy and it's really cool. I think the Probot fans are going to love it. Um, it. But it has the song from that does have the song from the movie in it. The, the forty plus minute long track. Sometimes you put it on. You just let whatever happens happens. It's like uh, that Melvin's album. It's just one track. <laughs> that's the kind of thing that uh, when I worked at Tower Records, I'd put on. It's like all right, let's let's just disturb everybody in here for a little bit. Why not? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So as we bring this in for Atlanta, what's next for you, PJ? Do you have any projects lined up that you're permitted to talk about or is everything kind of hush hush at the moment? Right now I'm just reading scripts. I've, I've got a bunch of scripts. I've been taking meetings with a bunch of producers and, and like trying to see the next steps. There's two movies that I really have been digging that I'm trying to get with going that I met on that I read the scripts and I really thought they were a lot of fun and really great. Um, there's also some things that I'm trying to work out with a couple of buddies of mine, like um, like me and Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton are talking about a pitch of a thing. And then and then my buddy Jason Trost, who's in the movie, who's also the main guy in the Slayer videos as the eye patch. Um, you know, we wrote some pitch ideas and, you know, we're just trying to like see what the next thing is. I'm also camera operating still, which I love, you know, so just kind of doing that in the meantime, like jumping back and forth. That's what's happening. So, there, I mean, there's things in the radar and like things that are that are that are that are like. We're trying to get those things going, but you know how this business can go. It can be either or. You never know. Until you're, you never can count on a job until you're on the set. 
Exactly. And even then, numbers may spike and things may stop. And if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that nothing is certain. But, you know, I've I've found my solution when I get angry is just turn around and be kind to somebody. That's that's a way to get through. You know, this whole pandemic, you know, it was because we were doing all this stuff with the Foo Fighter movie, but it also really made me go, no, man, like you work so hard, but it's like you got to start enjoying the things that you go home to. Um, I am a workaholic and my wife, it drives her crazy, but I tell you, like, it was really nice to be able to spend a lot more time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, you know, talk, talking to friends, like, you know, even though I didn't get to see him still kind of reconnected with some people over the phones and just checking on each other. And like, you kind of take a step back and you go, you know, you know, the, the movie business is great, but it, it shouldn't rule my life. Yes. You know? And I, I think, you know, I still love it, but it's also like, it's nice to like, just take a step back from it. That That's what I actually almost went on strike over it's like we gotta have our lifetime and our quality time you know like i always look at work as doing what i have to in order to afford what i want to uh, yeah and and that's part of the fun of it yeah. exactly and if you, can job, be, you know if you can be creative and do some stuff with your friends on top of that coffee at crafty's good and warm on a night shoot it makes for some great stories uh when you yeah. can get together with people around a barbecue grill and cook them up something wonderful yeah, I, and mouthwatering. It's a great business. hundred percent. I don't know <laughs> what else I do. It's too, this is too much fun. <laughs> so uh, on social media or online, where can the people find you if they want to find you? Oh, I'm on, I'm on Instagram just under BJ McDonald. Uh, I'm on Twitter, BJ McDonald, uh, just the number one. Um, that's really it. I don't really do much of Facebook. You know, I try not to, I try to kind of keep that more contained. Um, of course. You, you know, but it's just, it's hard because you start going, I don't know what's going on with me. You, you start losing track, try to keep your friends on that. But more, it's mostly, I do a lot more Instagram posts and I do, you know, some Twitter stuff too. That's really it. Cool, cool. And everybody can check out uh, Studio 666 on, at Studio 666 on all the things. Uh, you can check out Spooky Doings on Instagram. Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter at Rick Guzman. And uh, in the meantime and in between time, everybody, stay good, stay healthy, stay spooky. BJ, thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thank you very much, and thank you for all who listens. I hope you enjoyed our our talk. Cool.